What's up, guys? Ryan Horn here, and welcome to the Extraordinary Man Podcast. This is the one and only podcast specifically designed to help married businessmen create more profit and purpose in their business without sacrificing their family, health, or marriage in the process. Each week, I interview some of the world's most extraordinary men, including seven- and eight-figure entrepreneurs, elite athletes, best-selling authors, and world-class speakers. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Christian Edwards. Christian serves as a spiritual advisor for the King's Council, where he teaches and encourages members to discover and understand their identity, purpose, and destiny. Christian's testimony is a powerful example of what God can do in your life after battling 14 years of drug addiction. Christian surrendered his life to Christ in 2011 and has served in numerous ministry roles since then. He and his beautiful wife Lucy are parents to five amazing children and have committed their lives to serve God and others. Christian, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing outstanding, man. Thanks for having me, brother. Absolutely. Well, I know you have a really amazing story. I got to hear you tell it in person the first time we met. And uh, I'm just going to sit back and be quiet and let you take it away. Yeah, I, I could take it away. But first, I want to honor you uh, just for who you are, man. Uh, we met over the summertime and uh, you and your wife, Brittany, you know, you just kind of stood out to me, just the hearts that you have for the Lord, the hearts that you have for people. And it shows, man. And it's it. I love to see that. I love to be around that because, you know, unfortunately, not everybody who calls themselves a Christian, you feel that from, you know, you, you just feel the Holy Spirit. You feel the love just oozing out of them. And that's what I felt with you guys. So honor to you for your marriage, for who you are in serving the Lord and for this podcast, because you're blessing others with this podcast. So honor to you, brother. I think yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah. So, yeah, my name is Christian Edwards. And, you know, I'm involved in a coaching group called Kane's Council. And every time I say my name, we get right into our personal contract. So I usually say my name is Christian Edwards and I am a fearless beacon of light, spreading the hope and love of Jesus Christ with intention and fervency. And uh, so it's amazing, man, that I'm love even it. here. Love it. <laughs> it's a, and everybody usually goes, yes, you are. Just affirms that that contract. Um, yes, you are. Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> a quick learner. Uh, and that personal contract, that's something that we've developed in our coaching program that we really speak over ourselves every single day. It's not necessarily something that I've perfected. If you notice that word fearless, I know God, even with my contract, uh, when this coaching program started about a year ago, um, there's guys who are like, oh, God just spoke to me and and told me exactly what my personal contract is. They, they, you know, show me what my purpose is. And I was like, awesome. And for myself, I was like, okay, I hear from the Lord and I, I trust he's going to give me just a, the personal contract that I could live with and live for every single day. And it was like, I just wasn't getting that download. So I just started writing it out and it's like, I could come up with something off the top of my head. That sounds cool, but it just, I, I wasn't feeling like that's what God was leading me to say. So it really took me like two months to dial that in. And it kind of evolved um, along the way as well. But that word fearless, every time I say it, man, it's so important that we speak victory over ourselves because it, I trust the Bible. I trust, I trust God. I know he won't leave me. I know he won't forsake me. I know I'm more than a conqueror. I know that I fight from victory, not, not for victory in any battle that I'm in because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But fear has been something that 
I, I've, I don't want to say struggled with, cause I don't even want to give it too much weight, but it's something that I haven't been able to walk with that. Uh, I haven't been able to convince myself that I've been fearless in my walk. And, um, so that was the, the, the last thing that I added to my personal contract, the fearless beacon of light, spreading the hope and love of Jesus Christ with intention and fervency. And um, so, yeah, those contracts aren't something that, like I said, I haven't perfected it. But every day when I speak over myself, I'm fearless. I remind myself what God says about me. I remind myself of the promises of God and say, OK, I am fearless. I can walk in faith. So, yeah, um, I'm 40 years old from New Jersey. And uh, the the most basic thing I can say about myself is I'm just simply a sinner saved by grace, man. Amazing grace, not just a little bit of grace, uh, abundant grace, because I was a guy who grew up in uh, a, a good household growing up. My father was a high ranking officer in the North Police Department here in New Jersey. Um, my mother was a stay at home mom. We were spoiled. Uh, you know, my father and mother moved out of like the Newark area to the suburbs, like 45 minutes away, grew up on a lake. I mean, we were spoiled. I, I would say I had like the best parents ever. And I, I would would have said that up until I realized that the void that had been in my life for quite a while was the void of God. So my parents took me to church, I believe, one time my entire life. I mean, I I mean, I can't remember, but I think they like baptized me as a baby in a Catholic church and they did that whole deal. But I remember one Christmas Eve going to church, Catholic church, and I was like, all right, so so this is it. And then my father, every Easter, would watch the Ten Commandments on on TV. So I was like, okay, Ten Commandments. He told me, you know, this is a Bible story. Okay. So I heard the name Moses and was like, all right. So I knew this guy Moses was in the Bible. But it's crazy because I didn't grow up under a rock. But I knew nothing from the Bible other than the the two minutes I would watch at at a time with my father because I thought that movie was the most boring movie ever, the, the Ten Commandments. So even growing up watching Jeopardy with my father, like I took a lot of pride in as I grew up, I'd be able to get more questions. Right. And, you know, whenever the category was the Bible, it, it's funny because I knew nothing. My answer for everything. Well, really a question, because you answer in the form of a question on that show um, would be Moses. No matter what it was, Moses, 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 because that was the only person I knew in the Bible. It's crazy. I didn't even know that Jesus was in the Bible, which sounds ludicrous, but I didn't know. We, we didn't go to church. We didn't talk about God. We didn't talk about Jesus. We had no friends who were Christians. Uh, it, I didn't grow up under a rock, but there was just no sign. I, well, I can't say at all that there was no sign of God. There were signs of God everywhere, but I can't, I, I could say that nobody shared the gospel with me at all. So high school years, I was pretty good at basketball, transferred to um, a school in North New Jersey, St. Benedict's Prep for my junior year. A uh, week before the season starts, I get injured in practice, herniated disc in my back and go to the doctor. The doctor says, you know, we'll do this little surgery and we'll get you back on the court. So that little surgery led to, you know, kind of long story short, uh, led to four more back surgeries never getting on the court again and getting addicted to the painkillers that I was prescribed uh, right after that first surgery. So I was 16 years old, junior in high school, got addicted to painkillers like that. 
and I didn't even know what a painkiller was, man. Um, I stayed away from drugs. Uh, my my boys back back home uh, in in Lake Opacon, going to Jefferson High School, and when they all started getting into drinking, smoking weed, dabbling with other things, and even some kids getting into some harder stuff, it, you know, freshman year, sophomore year, I stayed away from it because I was an athlete. You know, even though my parents didn't raise me uh, in a godly way or, you know, speaking about God, they they taught me morals. They taught me values, you know. So I think I, I had a good head on my shoulders for what was instilled in me. So I stayed away from that stuff. And when a doctor prescribes you something, me, I'm 16 years old. I'm like, oh, this is going to help heal my back. So all I knew was I took that first painkiller and I just loved it. And then what I realized is how much I depended on them when turns out that injury, I didn't get back on the court. A couple months later, my parents, who after 20 years of marriage, got divorced out of the blue, my dad up and left. And then my girlfriend, who was like my first my first love in high school, she broke up with me. So now here I am where it's like, man, basketball was my life. It was the only thing I really cared about. I had plans to play in college. And um, after that, you know, become a cop like my dad was or maybe a federal job. My family was my rock. You know, like I said, I grew up in a great household and, you know, it wasn't great because we were spoiled. But I mean, we were loved by our parents. My dad was at every game and now my parents split up. And even when you're 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 in your late teens, that that's you know, that hits you hard, real hard. And maybe even more so because it's like, wait a second, how did we get this far? And now, it, you know, your your marriage just fizzles. So that happened. And then, you know, I kind of chuckle at it now, but getting dumped by your first love in high school, that, that's a blow as well, you know? So what I knew was I had these little pills that the doctor prescribed me that whenever anything was going bad, I would take one of them. And at least in that moment, at least for a couple hours, I felt good. So, you know, going through life, I realized, well, I certainly have an addictive personality because if those little pills make me feel good, why would I not just take them all day, every day? And that's really what I started doing even before I was out of high school. I had my second back surgery, my senior year. I had my third one. I think I was one year removed from high school. And then I had my fourth one, which was a big one. And this is crazy, man, to, to just kind of let the listeners in. If anybody doesn't know how sick addiction is. So I, I was hooked, you know, and I didn't really like to call myself an addict, but I knew I was dependent on these things. But the fact that I was getting them from a doctor and I would just tell them, hey, I need more. And they would give me more. You know, I didn't really see myself as having too much of a problem. And so I tried to stop. And then, you know, the withdrawals and and all that. And I was like, oh, shoot, I really need these things. So by the time I'm 24 years old, I had had three back surgeries already. I could get my hands on any pills that I want, any painkillers, Oxycontin, Percocets, Vicodin, anything that I want, because I just go into any doctor's office and show my scars. When you you have back surgeries, uh, especially then. Now, th this was probably this was part of the opioid epidemic in this country where 
you know, it's been resolved a lot um, through the government. Um, You know, now you can't just walk in. There's a database like you can't go to multiple pharmacies to fill scripts and say you don't have insurance, which is what I was doing then. I mean, I had a doctor that was giving me absolutely anything that I wanted. But when you start taking more and more, you need more. So you just go into a doctor's office and tell them, you know, you've had some back pain. You tell them what's worked in the past. You show them your scars and you get a script for whatever you want. And then you just go to the pharmacy right down the street from your regular pharmacy, tell them you don't have insurance and they would fill it for you. So I was being enabled just because there there was no um, overseer of that sort of thing nationwide at the time. So, uh, but to tell you how sick addiction really is, um, after I had my third back surgery, the surgeon told me, you know, probably, you know, in the next 15 to 20 years, you're going to have to have your spine fused. You know, there's just too much that that's gone on in there. You know, you have an area where your disc was that uh, there's just nothing there. Your vertebrae is going to start to collapse. You know, there's been so much um, nerve damage because of scar tissue and the all the invasive surgeries. So when I was 24 years old, this is 2005, I just, I was already getting anything that I wanted, but I, I kept thinking to myself, you know, if I, if I get this surgery to get my spine fused, I'll really get anything that I want. And it just the, the grip of addiction was just like, it had me, man, it had me. So I actually went to a doctor, a surgeon and proposed to him, you know, kind of like, Hey, would you be interested in fusing my spine? And what do you think a surgeon is going to say? Oh yeah, I'll do it. You know, the surgeon's not going to turn that down. And I went through, and it's so crazy to think about now where I was like giddy walking out of that office with a date set for them to have the surgery where, I mean, he explains that he cuts me open through my stomach, uh, a vascular surgeon pretty much removes my my guts out of the way so he could get to my spine. And all I'm thinking about is, yeah, they're going to give me tons of painkillers for this. So I'm going to be set. And that's what happened, man. I had the surgery. I mean, I was in bed for about six months. Uh, the first week after it was just like absolutely terrible. But at the same time, I mean, I got what I want. So this whole time I was actually holding down a job as a hospital maintenance guy because my father, when he retired from the police department, he got a job as director of security um, over a few hospitals. And when I decided after three different colleges, and keep in mind, I was an addict at that point. So three different colleges, I dropped out completely. He said, well, you're going to get a job. And he got me the job in a hospital maintenance department. Now, this job completely enabled my addiction because I work weekends, I work off shifts. I was just in the maintenance shop getting high and getting paid for it. So, I mean, so many things in life were handed to me, including that job, uh, and just that cl- that crutch to just kind of earn a paycheck and get high at the same time. I didn't care where I was doing it because at that point I was pretty, I pretty much alienated everybody in my life anyway, my family members, my friends. Cause when you start messing around with drugs and, and addiction uh, kind of starts in your life, you know, it's fun. You're hanging out with your boys, you're, you're popping pills, you're, you're partying it up. But then real quick, that drug, for me at least, becomes your life, becomes your God. It's like, I don't want anything to do with you, you or you. I just want to sit at home with my drugs. And I, that's what I did. I alienated everybody. So for me to just have to drive up the street to a hospital, punch in, and then you know just be alone in a maintenance shop and do it, I had no problem with that. Uh, fast forward. And that, that was my life, man. 
that was my life. I lived for those drugs. I, they were my God at the time. And I, I was hundred percent, man. I was like suicidal at the time. I hated myself. I hated my life. You can see me now. I got this beard going, but you know, I, I keep it groomed, you know, but back then I just had like this patchy beard, just like unkempt looking. It, it was terrible because I was so ashamed of myself that I really couldn't even look in the mirror to shave, man. Like in the morning, brush my teeth. Like it, it pained me to, if I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror, cause I just hated who I was, hated who I had become because I felt like I was destined for something great in life, you know? And I wasn't even setting the bar that high, you know, play college basketball, not, not even saying like, I'm going to play pro. I just want to play college basketball. I wanted to follow in the footsteps of my old man. I wanted to meet some woman, have some kids live happily ever after. You know, I have my own idea of what would bring me fulfillment, what would bring me joy. And I felt like that all got got robbed from me. So I had to blame somebody because, you know, it, I didn't choose this path. This path chose me. This path found me. So all those years, the only relationship I had with God was to believe in him, only to blame him for all the mess that I was in, for my addiction, for the way I looked, for the way I, I treated people. I mean, I had so much hatred in my heart. I hated myself and I hated everybody else around me, brother. So I would be in and out of believing in God, but I only believed in him to blame him for my issues. So really, um, I would be in my apartment. I'd be punching holes in the wall, just in these fits of rage. I'd be contemplating almost daily, just taking everything and ending my life. And I literally have middle fingers in the air saying like, F you, God, I, I hate you. You did this to me. And that was the relationship I had with God. When I was 28 or so at the hospital, still at the hospital, like all those years, you know, it's ridiculous that I was able to maintain a job, but you know, I just told you what I, I did all those years. Um, this woman came into my life named Lucy. She worked at the hospital and this woman was something different. She looked different to me. Um, she had a different type of smile. Her eyes just like lit up in a different way than I had ever seen in my entire life. So, you know, we became friends, you know, I, and for me telling you that, like, I hated everybody. I didn't want to be around anybody. I was a, a scumbag. Like I, I chased all the girls at the hospital, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, treated them all like crap, just honestly, to be candid, like trying to sleep with as many girls as possible, because, you know, when the drugs aren't filling the voids anymore, you, you try to fill them through things of the flesh, because I certainly didn't know about things of the spirit to this point. So Lucy was just like, man, had a smile that would light up a room. She was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. And for some reason, she was nice to me. I was like, okay, like she has no reason to be nice to me. She has no reason to give me the time of the day, but she did. And man, what I, I know now what attracted me to her the most was what I felt from her kind of like how when I started this, I honored you and Brittany, because when I'm around you guys, I just feel the presence of God. Well, that's what I felt being around Lucy. I felt the presence of God in her. I didn't recognize it at the time because I didn't know what the presence of God felt like. It was just, oh my God, this, this woman's amazing. I just feel different. There's something coming off of her. What is this? So yeah, she befriended me 
And what she would come to tell me a couple years later, that when I first came into her life, God immediately spoke to her and said, through loving kindness, will I draw thee? And what God was saying to Lucy was he was going to use her to get to my heart. And she knew it from the instant we met. She knew it. Now, you met Lucy, so you know she is in tune with the Holy Spirit. Um, she is a woman of God. She absolutely just rocked my world. She um, not only befriended me, but we became best friends. And I don't even want to say, you know, she just did it because she was on a mission, but there was a chemistry there. There was something there between us. Now, for me, I am like the lowest of the low. I'm a junkie. I didn't have God in my life. And, and to her, there, there would be no reason for her to give me the time of day, believe me, but she did. And I always, you know, so spoiler alert here. I mean, Lucy is now my wife, but uh, I, I like to joke with her saying that she just fell in love with, with these blue eyes. And she's like, no, believe me, that's not it. That's not it at all. I was like, come on. I, I know you're attracted to me. She's like, I was attracted to you, but that, that wasn't it. You know? So she, over the course of like the next year, really ministered to me in and we like to use this term uh, in King's Council and Steve Weatherford, uh, he uses it all the time because he's in circles with celebrities and, and, and big name guys. He, he kind of gives them the sneaky Jesus. So she she gave me sneaky Jesus, man, where she was allowing me to see not just through her actions, but man, I, I can't even tell you how she did it. She was like ninja with the way she gave me Jesus. And she was so obedient to the spirit of how she led me to the Lord. Because when I say she led me to the Lord, it wasn't like she cracked open a Bible and showed me scripture, because if she did that, I would have run for the hills. She didn't even say right away, you know, I, I'd like to pray for you because she knew I would have run for the hills. She just did in such a loving and graceful way where she she had to have been led by the Holy Spirit because she she did it in such a uh, meticulous way, in such a strategic way, where it made me curious about God. She made me curious about God. She made me curious about Jesus. She made me curious about the scriptures I saw written on her wall. She made me curious about prayer because she would tell me she would be spending time in prayer. And then I'd see it, just see like how she was just full of life. I was like, okay. So fast forward a little bit ahead. She decides to take me to a Christian counselor. And I was like, Christian counselor, I don't want to see a Christian counselor. You know, I'm not a Christian. And she was like, no, I want you to see this Christian counselor. So I see this Christian counselor and this counselor, her name was Miss Winfrey. And she was like a 65 year old black woman. And she was like, I mean, I just, you know how powerful Lucy is and like how much of a woman of God. So imagine if Lucy just continued to grow in her walk with the Lord until she's 65. That's what Miss Winfrey was, right? I, I sat down. She just looked me dead in my eyes and gave it to me straight. Um, she convinced me to go to a rehab in Florida. And I was like, all right. I, you know, I didn't love the idea. But I was at a point in life where I was so appreciative of Lucy just showing me the love that she showed me. She had even brought me around her kids, which, um, you know, to the kids, I was just like mommy's cool friend. You know, like they had no idea the issues that I had. Um, but 
like Lucy trusted me and I wanted to get sober more so for her at that point. And it wasn't about, you know, cleaning up my life altogether. It was just, I needed to get sober. So I say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go down there. Like a typical addict. I'm like, no, I can't go today. No, I can't go tomorrow. Next week. No, I got a busy schedule. Let's do it. Let's go like three weeks from now, three weeks from now. So they set it up like three weeks down the road. I'd be going to rehab. Now, (laughs) um, a lot happened in those three weeks. Lucy told me, you know, to start thanking God every day when you wake up that you woke up this morning. So I started thanking God that I woke up. And I remember the first morning that I did it, I opened my eyes, I looked up and keep in mind, still like I'm at a point in my life where I I love that Lucy's in my life, but it's still, I would have nights where I knew maybe it, like I would take enough drugs where just maybe I wouldn't wake up in the morning, but I was too scared to actually like kind of pull the trigger and make sure I didn't wake up. I was just kind of like in that limbo where I didn't want to live, but I was scared to die because I really didn't know what would happen when I died. So the first morning I woke up, said, thank you, God, for waking me up this morning. And nothing happened. I looked around the room and there was was just silence. So I called Lucy up. I said, Lucy, I I did it. Nothing happened. She just kind of chuckled. She said, well, do it again tomorrow. So did it again the next day. Next day, next day. And it was really about two weeks into it where I said it. And I just felt something different. I was like, hmm, I feel like somebody's there on the other end hearing this. Somebody's there receiving this. So then to myself throughout the day, I just kind of be talking to God, whether it be verbally or just kind of in my heart, I'd be talking because I was like, I feel like somebody's there. I feel like I'm talking to somebody. This is cool. So that happened. And that's how, you know, the relationship from, cursing him out to just kind of talking to him and believing that he's real, believing that he's there, you know, there was that shift, but then something like monumental happened within those three weeks as well, where even though I was making that progress and and praying every day and it wasn't much of a prayer, I was just thanking God that he woke me up. But in the end, that's what prayer is, right? It's just communicating with an open heart to God. Um, So I had a moment where I was driving in the truck with Lucy And she said something to piss me off and, you know, it didn't take much because I was an addict and still this point hated myself. And I just went into this rage. I remember I ripped the the visor off and um, to spite her because I was pissed at her. I always had a bottle of pills in my pocket. So I go into my pocket, get the bottle of pills, dump them down my mouth. Like what didn't get in my mouth and was still in the bottle. I threw the bottle at her and we drove off the road. Now, by the grace of God, we just came to a rolling stop in a patch of grass. But I, I had like essentially blacked out and it wasn't, you know, the pills hadn't kicked in yet, but it was just in this rage. And I remember I lifted my head up and I looked at Lucy and she had a look on her face that just absolutely killed me. And that was kind of like my aha moment, you know, like the the prodigal when he woke up in that pig pen, I just came to him. The scripture says he came to himself. He had that aha moment. This is my aha moment where I saw the look on her face. I was like, what am I doing? I could have killed 
her. I could have I could have killed me, which wouldn't have been a big deal, but I could have killed her, a mother of four kids. And like, what in the world am I doing? So her look of fear and anger, it just like, I mean, I could still see it vividly. I said to her, just crying my eyes out. I said, you have every right to kick me out of your life. And matter of fact, I hope that you do because I don't even deserve you in my life. But please just help me get off these drugs. She looked at me. She said, I'm still going to help you. She got out of the truck. She called her friend to pick her up. I drove away and I was like, I'm, I'm desperate. Like I'm at the point, like I'm just desperate at this point. So a couple of days later, you know, we're supposed to be uh, getting ready to go to this rehab. And I know in my heart, I'm still not going to get on that plane. I've been like that bottle of pills I had in my pocket. I've had a bottle of pills in my pocket since I was 16, essentially. Now I'm 30 years old, 14 years of addiction going through this stuff, 14 years of hell with this addiction. And the day before I'm supposed to leave, I said to Lucy, I said, do you mind if, you know, I just spend some time with you and the kids, maybe go to the park. And she said, yeah, that's fine with me. So they picked me up from my apartment. We go to a park, uh, shooting some hoops with the boys. Girls are running around and we go back to my apartment. And it's time for me to, to pack because the flight's the next morning. So before Lucy leaves, I know she was going to pray for me anyway, but I said to her, I said, do you mind if we pray? And I'll never forget our youngest daughter, Mooch, who is 17 years old, like, which is crazy. Our youngest daughter is 17. She looked at me and she, she looked up, she said, like, pray. Like Chris doesn't pray. Like, well, what's this about? This is strange. And, and even, I mean, the kids, they knew me well enough to know that God just wasn't my thing, which is like crazy. Um, so uh, Lucy, me and the kids, we held hands in a circle. And all I knew at that point was I was desperate. I was at the end of my rope. And Lucy had shared enough of the gospel with me that I knew it wasn't about me just getting sober. It was about me getting saved. And the only way for me to get sober is to be saved, is to completely surrender to Christ, is to completely submit to him, completely just let it all out to him. And really, I didn't know when Lucy started praying, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I just knew I was desperate. And I was going to put all of my faith, everything that I had in Jesus Christ in that moment. Like I use the word saved now. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. I didn't know, you know, like scripture says, you know, that, you know, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us when we believe in Jesus. And when Lucy was in the midst of the prayer, and I tell you, man, a lot of that day was, is so vivid to me. But once my eyes were closed and my head was bowed and Lucy started praying and I just remember just that, that start of it, tears are flowing. I know snot's dripping down my nose. There's a puddle in front of me. And I don't know if Lucy was praying for 10 seconds or 10 minutes or an hour. I have no idea. But all I remember is that moment when I completely surrendered. I completely let it go. I completely trusted in the Lord. And just the, the realization 
that the same God that I had been cursing out was standing right in front of me the whole time with arms wide open, just waiting for me to fall into him, just waiting for me to fall into him. And I, I like with that, I'm getting goosebumps right now, even like talking about this and recalling it because there's absolutely no reason for God to have still been there. That's why I said like amazing grace, abundant grace for me to even be here today, because there's no reason that God shouldn't have let me fall flat on my face and just die in my addiction. But he was there the whole time. He was there. Lucy was patient. She was steadfast. She was long suffering and leading me to that moment. And man, I didn't know what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you had told me you're filled with the Holy Spirit before that moment, I would have said you need to be locked up in a mental institution. But I got filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. And one thing I didn't realize right away, like I knew I was different in all the scripture, like Second Corinthians 5, 17, all who are in Jesus Christ are new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. I didn't know stuff like that, but it happened. Scripture came to life in my life in that moment. I was a new creation. I had a new heart. I didn't realize in that that moment because, you know, I had just gone through this, but I was delivered from my addiction like that. I was delivered on the spot. I was redeemed. I, I was restored. I was made new in that moment. So Lucy and the kids, even though Mooch, she was only seven at the time, they knew what was up. You know, they they knew what had just happened. So, you know, they gave me you know, we talked for a little bit and then I was excited to get on that plane and go to rehab. Excited. I, they leave. I pack, get up the next morning, get to the airport and I'm pumped up. All I'm doing, anybody I could that will give me their attention. I'm, I'm telling them what happened that day before I get down to the airport. The, the rehab had sent two people to come pick me up because when they you know, when they pick you up from the airport, they ask you like your size, I'm six, four, So they send two people to come pick, pick me up because they don't know what they're getting into when they're picking guys up. These two guys come and I'm immediately like, guys, let me tell you what just happened to me yesterday. It's like, I, I can't like fully explain it, but let me tell you what just happened to me. Right. So they take me to the rehab, go through detox at detox. They're like, Oh, you're going to need some boxing. You're going to need this and that. I'm like, no, no. Let me tell you what just happened to me yesterday. Let me tell you, I don't want any of that. I don't need any of that. And then, um, so I'm in and out of detox in like two days, get to the rehab portion. And man, I, it was 30 days where I was down there. Was it the easiest thing in the world? No. But was it absolutely supernatural? Yes. I was able to minister to every single person at that rehab. I, dude, it's so crazy. I was there like six days and like I'm in the rehab section now, a couple guys that were in my room were knuckleheads and we had like some people lining up chairs outside our, the, the door to our room. So I was like, oh man, what's going on over there? Thinking my roommates were just doing something stupid. And somebody says to me, oh no, they're lining up their chairs to see you. I was like, see me? What are you talking about? They said, yeah, they're saying like you're their Christian counselor or something. I was like, what Christian counselor? I just got saved. I mean, I probably didn't even use the word saved. I was like, I just like, I've only been a Christian less than a week. What do you mean? I'm their Christian counselor and know what they, this person said, they said, I don't know. They just want what you have. 
And I was like, well, shoot, I don't even know exactly. I know I have Jesus. I can't give you, you know, all the details of it. I can't give you the scriptures of what happened because when Lucy sent me down to rehab, she didn't even give me a full Bible because she didn't want me to get overwhelmed. She actually just wrote out some scriptures for me to meditate on for the month because she didn't want me to get into the Bible, have questions, and she wouldn't be able to answer them because where I was, you could only make like two 20 minute calls per week. Um, So I was like, yeah, I, I could share with them, you know, what I feel and, and what brought me to that point of surrender, what brought me to that point and just what happened when I surrendered and how real the gospel is, how real Jesus is, how real the Holy Spirit is. And man, I, I was, uh, you know, back to the contract. I, I was, and it's not to boast in myself by any means, but I was a beacon of light in that rehab for those 30 days. Everybody there knew who I was and just wanted to kind of feel what I was feeling because it was supernatural, man. It was absolutely supernatural. Like I said, was it easy? No. Did God spare me from getting sick the way I had? If I didn't take pills for eight hours, I'd be throwing up, man. Like it, it was that type of addiction. I didn't throw up once. I didn't get sick. I, you know, I didn't have any of those withdrawals. Was I uncomfortable? Yeah, I was a little uncomfortable, but Compared to where I should have been, it should have been absolutely held withdraw, uh, detoxing from what I was on. So God had his hand on me the whole time. It took me about two good weeks to actually get some sleep at night because my body physically had to adjust and adapt. But it was like, that was a minor detail of it all. I finally got some sleep and, and you know, got back on track. I learned how to, you know, adapt to just being sober. When I got back from um, rehab, uh, God had spoken to me at rehab and said to me, Lucy is your wife and you're the father of her four kids. So he tells me that I'm excited. Cause like I told you, like Lucy was something special and not just spiritually, but she was the finest thing I had ever laid eyes on. So I was like, yes, jackpot. Um, I get home late November and Lucy and the kids picked me up from the airport. We went to her apartment and I, I said to Lucy, I said, there's something I have to tell you. She looks me dead in my eyes. She says, I know you're my husband and you're the father of my four kids. And I was like, how'd you know I was going to say that? She said, God told me the same thing while you were away. I was like, oh, my gosh. Just like so many God stories and so many confirmations and affirmations that God is real. A couple of days later, I go back to work. The same maintenance job, right? Now I'm working 3 to 11 and I just spent the previous close to a decade doing absolutely nothing on the job but getting high. So now I'm a new person. I want to actually do what I'm supposed to do. I want to, you know, I'm the maintenance guy. I'm supposed to be doing these machine room tours and checking things and answering calls. So I, my first day back, I'm all about it, man. I, I, I got a pep in my step. You know, it's like people may not know what happened to me, but they're going to know I'm a different person. I'm actually walking around the hospital, really kind of actually learning where these machine rooms are after being there 10 years that I've been supposed to have been checking them for the last 10 years. Um, so I'll never forget. It was late in the evening and I'm come, walking back to the maintenance shop and I have to walk past the loading dock to get to the maintenance shop. So there's a guy there who was um, delivering linens. And as I'm walking down the hallway, I see him. And this hallway has got to be 200 feet long. It's a long hallway that it turns left and the maintenance shop is right over there. 
So I see this guy, he's got a baseball cap on, toothpick in his mouth, probably my age. It looks a little bit like me, which would be the first person I would want to like say something snark to, to like, before I got saved, I'd want to look at, give a dirty look. I'd want to like provoke the fight, something like that, because that, that was who I was. So I see him there and he's kneeling down. He's putting the linens on the cart. And for a split second, like my old flesh rises up and like, I was going to give him a dirty look. And then immediately I was convicted and immediately God spoke to me. And he said, I heard this so clearly and so loudly. It was almost as if it was the audible voice of God. But I heard God say, no, 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 this is your brother. I was like, okay. So, and this is all like, as I'm walking, approaching this dude. So as I, like God says this, just as he looks up to me, and instead of me giving him a dirty look, I just go, I smile. I go, hey, what's up, man? Right. He smiles, says, what's up? And I just keep walking. And for me, I'm like, this is victory. This is this is awesome new life. I could say hi to people. I could smile at people. I could say, what's up? I could be a pleasant human being. So I walked down the hallway. Now, one thing that I didn't share was that whole time I was just running from God, rebellious from God and hating God. I, I was always the type of person where... I just wanted somebody to say, God bless you to me, because if they had said, God bless you, I just had a whole list of reasons why God wasn't real, why if he was, he was a terrible God, all this stuff. And it was crazy because I would I would be at supermarkets, I'd be checking out at the cashier and the person in front of me would check out and the cashier would say, all right, have, have a good day. God bless you. And I would be like, oh, this is it. This is my moment. I'm going to tell them just how terrible their God is. I would cash out, change money. And the person say, okay, have a great day. See ya. I'd be like, what happened? Why didn't you tell me? God bless you, right? And this happened multiple times, dude. Like, it was crazy. It, nobody ever said, God bless you to me. At the hospital, I pass this dude who's delivering the linens. I just say, hey, what's up, man? I'm all proud of myself. I'm walking. And I'm at the end of this 200-foot hallway. I'm about to make this left. As soon as I turn left and I'm out of his view, I hear, I hear him yell, Hey, God bless you, man. And dude, I stopped and I froze. I was like, like, I'm getting chills right now. Even sharing the story. I back up. I looked down the hallway. I was like, what'd you say? And he probably thought I was coming at it. Like I was offended that, that he said that he was like, ah, I said, God bless you, man. So I like slowly walked that 200 feet back to where he was. And I was like, what made you say that? He said, man, when you were about to pass me, I knew God was telling me to tell you, God bless you, but I didn't know how you're going to take it because some people don't, don't take it the right way. So I didn't say it. And then as you walk down the hallway, I was looking at you the whole time. And as soon as you're out of my line of vision, God made me say, it. I had to say, God bless you. I was like, dude, you don't even know like anything I'm about to tell you right now. <laughs> like you have no idea what I'm about to share with you. And I, for like the next 20 minutes, I shared with him my whole testimony, told him how I was always wanting somebody to say, God bless you. So I could just tell him how terrible God is. And in that moment, man, I just realized God is so good and he is faithful to us. And he, he knew my anxieties of being back to work that day. And he just sends this guy there to, to say, God bless you to me. And like, I heard God's voice in that moment. And it was crazy, like 20 minutes. And here I am, 30 year old guy, he's about the same age. We literally were like embracing in a hug and crying for like five minutes. Like just, it was crazy. And one thing that now I never saw this guy after this, I, I intentionally went down by the loading dock around the time 
that that I ran into him this night for the next like year and a half. I never saw this dude again. So if I had actually known the Bible and knew the names of angels in the Bible, I maybe would have thought something on the spot. But this dude's name was Gabriel. And I never saw this dude again. And I'm not saying like I'm not trying to make more of a story out of it than not. But I mean, whether he's Gabriel from the Bible or just um, somebody that God put my life in that moment to share that moment. I don't know, but um, I never saw that dude again. But now, like once I started getting into scripture, it, like, and I saw Gabriel, I was like, Oh my God, that's, that could have been the dude that <laughs> I ran to in the hospital, which highly unlikely, but you know, uh, I don't count out God for anything. This has been amazing. And first of all, I just want to honor you for sharing your story and your testimony. And, you know, Lucy is an absolutely incredible woman as well. You know, Brittany and I have, have just really enjoyed getting to know you guys better. And uh, why don't you just catch us up to speed and tell us, you know, what's going on in your life now? Uh, well, like I said, Lucy is my wife. Um, that night where, you know, she rocked my world by telling me, uh, God told her the same thing that I'm her husband. We just, that, I think it was that night. We just picked a date. We're like, well, let's get married then. So this was late November. We said, let's do it in the summertime. And we just picked a day in the summertime. And there, that was our engagement. I didn't get down on a knee. There was no engagement ring. Even she didn't want one. We just got matching wedding bands and um, we got married. So next year, next July, I'll be 10 years married today. Uh, I shared this with you. Um, Today is the 10 year anniversary of me uh, being sober. The, the day that 10 years ago today was when I woke up at that rehab and I didn't have anything in my system for the first time in 14 years. So it's crazy. And um, it's an honor to be able to share my testimony on a day that means so much to me. And so uh, Lucy and I, we've had one baby on our own, um, Ezzy, after a long journey of a uh, long fake journey to, to have a child of our own, but he was born in 2020. So we have uh, an almost one and a half year old. And then those four kids aren't really kids anymore. Their ages are 25, 21, 19, and 17. Um, and then we have Ezra, we call him Ezzy. He's almost one and a half. So that's our five kids. And um, I have been absolutely blessed. I jumped into ministry immediately. You know, started, once I got back from rehab, started going to church with Lucy, jumped into the Bible, started serving in ministry. And that's been my heart. It's been my passion. It's been my calling. And God told me he's going to use my testimony to lead others to him. Um, so I've been doing anything I can, serving at church and Anyway, any, anywhere, any way I can. Um, this past year through King's Council Coaching, which I mentioned earlier, it's a Christian coaching program where we coach entrepreneurs. Uh, we coach in leadership and, and legacy. And I just happened to come across these guys just over a year ago. I was rocked by Steve Weatherford, who um, just recommitted his life to Christ three years ago after, you know, not finding anything else of the world that could fill the voids that he had, including for him winning the Super Bowl, you know? So he came into my life. Riley Meek came into my life. They are the, the founders of King's Council Coaching. And I joined them and I just 
kind of organically became, you know, served in like a pastoral role over the group. And this past February, um, Riley uh, made it happen where I was able to quit my job at the hospital after about 19 years and do do full-time ministry within King's Council where, you know, we coach in the five pillars of mental, emotional, physical, financial, and spiritual. Well, that spiritual pillar, I kind of cover, um, do one-on-one calls uh, when we speak at events. Uh, I'm the guy that baptizes people. I'm the guy that'll share gospel messages and, you know, lead calls of salvation. So I'm that guy. And it's such an honor to have that, that role in this group. And really any way God uses us, it's such an honor. You know, think about it. Like I'm that guy who was punching holes in my walls saying F you God. And now you're using me to bring light to somebody else's life. So it's such an honor, man. Yeah, it's incredible just to think about that and the amazing journey that you've been on. And Steve and Riley are awesome. I've interviewed Riley on the podcast already, and I'm going to be having Steve on soon as well. But yeah, I just want to thank you again and honor you for sharing your story and your testimony. And I have no doubt that this is going to have massive impact for the people that listen to it. So as we wrap up here, just one final question for you. I guess I haven't asked any questions. You made, you made it really easy for me today. I've just sat back and, and been taking notes. Uh, but listening to your story and your testimony never gets old. The question is, what is your definition of an extraordinary man? Uh, an extraordinary man. Well, first person that comes to mind is Jesus. And you didn't ask for a person. You asked for a definition. Uh, but then I think of the Apostle Paul as well, who said, you know, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Somebody who is passionate, um, somebody who doesn't allow good to rob them from best. And what I mean by that, one of the things that Steve and Riley personally did for me was I believe I was doing good in life. You know, I I believe I was a good father, a good husband. I believe I was doing good, effective ministry work, but I was allowing good to rob me from my best, to to truly walk out what God was calling me to. So an extraordinary man is somebody who doesn't stop at good, is somebody who just keeps going. You know, what are you intentional about? What are you, what are you training for? Uh, You're getting your reps in, you're, you're walking this this life out, you're practicing things, but what are you practicing for? Are you going through the motions? Are you just trying to be good? Or do you want to be the best at whatever it is you're doing? So an extraordinary man is somebody who doesn't allow good to rob them from their best. I love it. That is a, that is a great answer. So where can people go to find out more about you and what you're doing with King's Council Coaching? Uh, you could go to my Instagram handle. It's Christian Edwards 249 and you could go to our King's Council website. It's kingscouncilcoaching.com. And council is C-O-U-N-C-I-L, King's Council Coaching. Awesome. Well, Christian, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story. It was awesome to be on. I love you, brother. I love what you're doing here. Guys, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Extraordinary Man Podcast. Here's the thing, you're never going to maximize your potential on your own. So I'm personally inviting you to come and join me in the Private Extraordinary Man Facebook group so you can level up your business and your life. 
Just head over to Facebook and type Extraordinary Man into the search box and it will show up as the first result. Iron sharpens iron and this is the number one place for you to connect with me and other like-minded men who are on a mission to maximize their potential. My goal is to help you become the man God created you to be in all areas of your life. So come and join us in the Facebook group and upgrade your business and your life. I'll see you on the next episode.